0: hello everybody today is wednesday august 8th and we're bringing you block digest number 120 season 4 finale at block height five hundred thirty-five thousand eight hundred and thirteen.
1: so what's going on rick my goodness man it's a season 4 finale man it's been crazy long but uh yeah it's finally the finale it's here man let's do it how you doing today
0: Alrighty, looking forward to uh, two weeks of doing nothing but playing video games and being totally unproductive. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds fun. What's going on with you today, Jenny?
2: I cannot be unproductive. I have a lot of things to do.
0: <laughs> yes, you absolutely can. You're not trying hard enough. We're all busy, busy.
1: Yeah, it's hard to find that downtime, but it certainly does sound fun enough to where I'm always pushing for it. I'm gonna find it. I'm like every now and again, I find a video game I can sit down and play, but it's like very rare. Busy, busy.
0: Yeah. uh, To cut a rant short with a single comment, uh, game developers have gotten more and more retarded as the years go on. But what are you gonna do? Yeah. Nothing we can do. Don't, don't buy the pre-order, That's it. don't buy the pre-sale, the pre-sale. no pre-sales. Mm-hmm. But I guess uh, dive right into it. Today is the Optech newsletter breakdown again. Uh, pretty much the big points are um, a discussion over Lightning, um, a library put out there by Bram Cohen, and then some uh, commits on Bitcoin Core, LND, and C Lightning. Um, also, Optech is now planning its first European workshop, uh, which is going to be in Paris sometime in November. So some uh, European companies can now consider getting on board and actually collaborating with the working group. Uh, hope to see all the big players out there uh, get on board. You know, it's, uh, I kind of haven't really seen any big news of a lot of companies piling on yet. I hope that kind of corrects itself soon. Uh, fees are not super low, but low enough that, you know, around 10 blocks or so, if you want to pay the minimum fee, they'll usually confirm around then. So take that into consideration when consolidating outputs. And um, also, RBF uh, or opt in RBF has seen a pretty decent uptick in uh, adoption from around 1.5% to around 5.7%, although it's still. Overall, not that big of an adoption level. It's increasing and underneath uh, the graphic here showing that there's actually a new uh, dashboard for uh, data on the network that Optech put together if you guys want to go around and uh, tinker with that. It's uh, Another flashy website where we can look at things we wonder about so um, as far as the big news uh, the first one On the Lightning Network development list, there was actually some discussion about arbitrary uh, contracts on the Lightning Network, so things other than uh, hash time lock contracts. And pretty much the thing that was uh, pretty much the gist of it is that even if we get the SIG hash uh, no input, or I'm sorry, the SIG hash... The, the new SIG hash BIP that would allow um, L2 to actually be functionally implemented, there's still going to be some cases for the previous penalty-based construct. And it mostly has to do with arbitrary like non-HTLC contracts. So, for instance, uh, this might not be the best thing to make heads or tails of graphically, but if you can see on the screen, it's kind of looking at the uh, structure of a channel and the penalty-based setup here with the funding transaction, then the commitment transaction, which first drops things to chain, and then the um, actual uh, final transaction that redeems everybody's balances. And if we kind of look here at inserting an arbitrary uh, contract in terms of the payment here, With the uh, normal penalty-based construct used now, you can kind of shoehorn that into the commitment transaction where the the second that first transaction hits chain, the arbitrary contract can have the conditions met and immediately be spent from that uh, commitment transaction without any delay. Whereas if we go look at the L2 construction, we can see this funding transaction, then the first thing to hit the chain and then the final transaction that actually um, refunds from that and kind of the issue here it might not seem obvious at first glance but the the way the commitment transaction would work in l2 is require a uh, csv immediately in, in the commitment and it's kind of like counterintuitive, but if you really think about how L2 works, where it's using the special sig hash parameter so that you can kind of take the signature from it and just add that signature onto a more recent um, transaction if an old one has been submitted, it requires that the the script that those transactions are spending to and from to remain identical, So you can't kind of just insert an arbitrary contract into that transaction. It it would have to be included in a transaction after that. And so when when we kind of look at this like that, the CSV delay on that commitment could potentially conflict with the conditions of an arbitrary transaction. And it, it doesn't really allow for that arbitrary contract to immediately be fulfilled the second that an l2 based commitment transaction hits the chain and so it's kind of just looking at this as like you know in the most likely case the vast majority of contracts run on the lightning network are going to just be simple htlcs for routing payments but there are still a lot of reasons you could want to do other complex things and In that case, like L2 is generally a much superior uh, structure in terms of smart contracts, just for general payments and for most purposes. But in the case of wanting to insert a more complex or arbitrary contract, it's still uh, more suitable to use the penalty-based construct because you can guarantee that the more complex uh, output path can be redeemed immediately when this hits the chain. And so there's kind of a, just a discussion on this in the mailing list if you guys want to really dig through a little deeper and kind of look at the back and forth. Also, um, Bram Cohen has pretty much put out a library for uh, BLS signatures, which, if you're not familiar, is actually something that uh, Gavin Andreessen is really the big name that uh, pops into my head and some others uh, very early on in development, we're looking at in terms of signature aggregation. And it would also allow uh, non-interactive signature aggregation. So kind of take things really to the extreme that we could potentially see with Schnorr if some of the issues are worked out. But the issue with this is that it's a lot more intensive in terms of actually validating signatures. And so, I would like, again, this is something where you kind of look at all the trade-offs involved and really make up your own mind. But I personally would much rather see Schnorr used and widely adopted as it's a lot quicker to validate and a lot more efficient on that side of things. And ultimately validation being the the bottleneck and kind of the throttle of the system as a whole. I think that's a very important metric to really look at and keep in mind when updating things but it's still a pretty cool thing and something developers can actually kind of tinker with now. And the the last note is that right now ECDSA signatures and Schnorr signatures um, can kind of be assumed secure based on a single assumption. And that would be the discrete logarithm um, problem, essentially that you can't really factor uh, very large prime numbers. And Schnorr actually has a mathematical proof of its security in this respect. But BLS signatures kind of require an extra assumption um, in order to be assumed to be secure. So I don't really see this as something that's going to kind of derail or supplant or become an alternative to Schnorr. But it's still a cool thing to really look at and consider as far as like what can developers build with this outside of Bitcoin itself. And then, in terms of big pull requests, um, the uh, pull request by Peter Woolley for the uh, output script descriptor search. So, pretty much being able to scan the UTXO site itself for specific scripts um, that's been merged. So, that should now be making its way into 0.17. Um, blah, blah, blah. Um, Bitcoin Core has also removed a uh, feature that effectively had the client refuse to start in the instance of uh, misconfigured or unrecognized config parameters in the config file. Um, That has been removed right now, but is going to be re-implemented in the future. And pretty much in the meanwhile, it will just produce a warning instead of refusing to start. LND has updated a little bit of the back end to move to hopefully what is going to be the final uh, spec version of neutrino filters for light clients, which if you're not familiar, pretty much allows nodes to construct filters to give to light wallets and then figure out specifically which blocks uh, might have transactions involving them uh, without leaking privacy in terms of showing the node that it's getting these from, uh, which transactions they're involved in. LND also has another pull request that Pretty much merged a uh, data structure and is kind of working towards actually getting watchtowers up and running as far as managing the actual penalty transactions. And then C Lightning has a new pull request that kind of modifies the, um, I guess you could call it the Lightning's dust limit, which is effectively refusing to forward payments if a fee is more than 1%, um, it usually is, of the value of the payment. This has kind of been tweaked to kind of disregard that rule for uh, payments of up to 50 nano bitcoins for very small payments, such as those occurring on Satoshi's place where the fee is inevitably going to be a very high percentage of the payment, but still a small enough amount that if you're engaging in that transaction, it's not really a concern of yours. And that wraps up the Optech newsletter this week. And really, yeah, interesting to see just basically
1: like these uh, updates from across the different, you know, things that are being worked on in the space. Like, I mean, usually you dig into Sea Lightning or Lightning D or, yeah, you're looking into Schnoor. It's just great to see this uh, generalized, like, update of all the different projects and kind of gives a good uh, scope as far as just what developments are being made and where some people should go as far as uh, – you know, trying to find their way in the space that they think they could uh, cut their teeth and what's more important to them. And it's really great just to get, yeah, the extra infographics and all that. You know, we kind of deal with what we have. have so, so just to get any of those, and it's
0: just a good. of okay, chopping out a little bit, Rick. You still there? Uh, boy. Uh-oh. Yeah. We, we need to get you some new internets, Rick. But, uh, yeah, I guess uh feel like a dick to kind of just move on. Uh, but, wait, you still there? Last chance. All right, mic check, one, two. How is it going right now? loud and clear.
1: Okay. So yeah, the gist of what I was just saying right there is just how great it is to get these overviews and different sources of information that we could compare and see what's going on and help give people that are just coming into the space that are pretty competent in certain areas of development can just uh, get a quick overview of what they're looking at and say, okay, this looks like uh, some developments are taking off here and I need to go help this or this project's kind of lagging behind or this, this fee error is is this thing here, and we should go look at that. So just like the uh, bigger overall picture of these updates, I really am enjoying them and just the information coming out of them is great. And so, uh, yeah, I'm going to keep up with them, man. Like uh, this newsletter kind of passed me by just because the past week's been so busy. But just hearing all these uh, different updates from these different areas of the space, it's, it's awesome.
0: Hmm. I mean, you know, it's really... Kind of, especially like with the the lightning discussion on smart contracts, it's really important to kind of consider all the trade-offs involved in things. And I mean, you know, it doesn't really directly apply to lightning, I guess, as a second layer. But I think like this specifically kind of shows the importance of maintaining backwards compatibility for things. Because there are always going to be trade-offs in changes to the protocol and you don't necessarily want to preclude functions that depend on how things work right now by changing everything in a way that breaks like current functions like you want to be able to maintain that compatibility so you have really the full range of capabilities in terms of what you can do with the system and what you can build on top of it
1: yeah, it's also just a great yeah, visual and, you know, good explainer as far as whenever people hear some of the propaganda behind Lightning Network or behind Bitcoin and nail that. It's just like, you know, somebody with at least some technical background can uh, quickly put some of that stuff to rest in their head if they see the developments and they can see the different implementations. And it's a uh, yeah, it's just overall a huge net positive.
0: Hmm. All right, though, in other news, something I'm sure everybody oh. was completely expecting. The Eck proposal has had the consideration period extended. <clears throat> so they uh, filed for a rule change June 20th. The uh, publishments of that was on July 2nd. And the SEC reserves its rights under... The uh, Securities and Exchange Commission Act or Securities Exchange Act to extend the period. They have moved things up to September 30th as the date uh, for approval, disapproval, or um, instituting proceedings to determine whether to disapprove the proposed rule change. So Honestly, I think given the context of the dissent letter from the commissioner recently over the rejection of the Winklevi uh, ETF proposal, I I think it it really goes without saying that they are going to just kind of extend this as, as much as possible. I mean, this really yeah like at this point it, it's just getting kind of absurd and especially you know with the backed um, announcement by ice and um, the next story we'll be talking about it really seems to me like they're kind of manipulating their position as a regulator and trying to stall products created by specific companies or new companies like the uh, the Winklevi and Gemini to kind of give, the the entrenched legacy institutions a chance to build things out on their own. And like at this point, like especially given the context of all of the institutional products being put together by large banks or trading firms and so on and so forth, they're really attempting, it looks to me like just pretty much trying to stonewall all the projects that are not being built by these specific entities and kind of give them a chance to try to lock down like that position before they start approving like other products. And it's it, this, this is like exactly why the SEC and agencies like this should not exist. Like as, as clearly spelled out in the dissent letter, like they are not interpreting the, the rules that they are following correctly. They are pretty much just abusing their position as a regulator to act as the gatekeeper of what new things are and aren't allowed and who is allowed to do them. And like this is not fulfilling a role of of trying to protect the consumer or protect the stability of things. This is just a quid pro quo of you scratch my back, I'll scratch your back. And like this is not a healthy thing not only just for the Bitcoin markets, but for markets in general. Like, this is just clearly like regulatory capture and just backroom dealing. And like, this, it's, it's fucked up.
1: Yeah, man. I've been looking at these, yeah, these ETFs. Every, everybody's got is looking at them and the deadlines and the extensions. It's just, yeah, what are they dragging their feet for whenever people from the SEC are who are in charge that a woman's name escapes me right now but she was saying how much we're lagging behind in the global community in this uh innovative part of this um, a part of this economy this that's growing i mean we're getting left behind it's one of these things that's super aggravating because you know we see this all across the uh states you know regulatory agencies people you know they're either hindered so they can't do their job or they're uh, in a very powerful position so they could pick winners and choose losers on this whole thing to where it really is kind of just showing their hand on this, like how much they don't really care about the regulations that they're supposed to enforce as far as protecting consumers and doing things like that. It's much more about just, yeah, letting their guys get in before the actual developments can sort of take place. And that's just super aggravating to see. And it's something where I'm kind of glad that, uh, you know, we're starting to see some of those things like, uh, the CB, the CME did those recent CFP, EFPs, the exchange for physical. And uh, we're just starting to see that uh, ICE, uh, Starbucks, Microsoft product getting all wrapped up because I, I don't know if we're actually going to see when we're going to see these things approved unless those guys have uh, all their products together. Which, I mean, Goldman Sachs has been in the space like when did they take over Poloniex and circle that was earlier this year sometime or uh, late last year. I think it was late last year. Mm hmm. So they sh- they've got to have their stuff set up and ready. I mean, it's it's probably close, but I think these deadlines are all coming up in September and October, right?
0: For the most part, I think I honestly think like they're going to drag this out into early next year. I mean, it really is You know, like the the whole point of of a market, a, a free market and like the the rhetoric that that America supports this even though in reality America has just become a backdoor planned economy through a bunch of shadow mechanisms that aren't really that obvious to the public at large. I mean, for instance, like just, I mean, look at like our stock market right now. Like most of that is just cheap loans being fucking created by the Fed to large corporations that are buying back their own shares because they've effectively been selling them off to the point where they've diluted their own control. I mean, like it's not really that organic. Like it is very much carefully planned. And I mean, if you look at like something like Japan, like the the Bank of Japan outright owns an insane share of the Nike, like their stock market. But it's like this, this free market rhetoric is horseshit in the case of a country like the US. Like it's not because in a free market, Uh, A competitor would be free to actually come up and build a competing product. And if it's better, they would sway the consumers to consuming their product instead of pre-existing ones. But that is clearly not what's happening here. Like they are stonewalling actual upstart competition at every opportunity. While we see headline after headline of these legacy institutions finally starting to try to wrap their head around Bitcoin and how this ecosystem works and create their own products. And like, this is not a free market. Like this is every government based tool or means of enforcement being used to stonewall competition and prevent them from entering the market. And like, it's, it's a joke.
1: Yeah. I would agree with that, man. But like, we're just saying, you know, Bitcoin has got a lot more interest from various parts of society. So it is, it does show their hand pretty heavy, which honestly I couldn't have told you that much about SEC regulations a few years back, but being in Bitcoin and seeing this way that it works, it's just one of those more, one of those other confirmations that the system's kind of breaking down and it's not working the way it's supposed to be as far as fostering capitalism and encouraging competition and that, sort of way of doing business and it has degraded down to this world of duopolies and you know backdoor relationships that only keep the market going so well yeah i don't know how much longer they can do it because like we're going to cover a little later All in the media, as far as like they're also picking the winners and losers in the media, and uh, you know, who gets to put out their information, and that's a First Amendment right here in the United States. And then, you know, when it comes to people's finances, they're pretty enthused about that and how exactly that's being managed. So, whenever they are invested in Bitcoin and they start to see all these different interactions between the SEC and what people are doing in Bitcoin it'll just be another confirmation for them that this is the right place for them to be. And that, uh, this system is really hamstrung as far as, uh, trying to move forward in any fashion that's actually going to foster capitalism. I mean, it's just this terrible feedback loop to where now we just, yeah, we live in a world of duopolies and backdoor relationships.
3: hmm
0: You know, I kind of move along so uh, we don't eat up all the time on the first story, but, um,
3: Okay,
1: Uh, can you hear me, Janine? Because I'm not hearing Shinobi. Yeah,
2: I think think Shinobi froze. (laughs) I didn't know if it was me.
1: (laughs) Okay, well, geez, yeah, I've been having such bad internet trouble. I was thinking, I'm not, I I guess I'm froze up, but I guess Shinobi froze up this time. Uh, You know, we were just saying the internet and and
0: information flow, it's getting a little weird around here. Google Chrome, I am very pissed at you right now. (laughs) All right, so uh, back to business. Uh, Goldman Sachs um, is purportedly working on a custodial solution to manage the Bitcoin of their clients directly and kind of build off of. Yep, kind of build off um, like what, what we covered on Sunday with backed. And you know, it's, I, I, I might kind of interweave. Uh, that and this right now. I, I don't really feel like we had a lot of time to kind of discuss all the negatives of uh, the the backed announcement. And I would highly recommend also um, looking at Trace Mayer's uh, latest episode of his podcast uh, to kind of have like a, a much deeper dive into the negative side of things. But like the, Goldman recently announced uh, earlier this year that they're going to be working on a uh, crypto trading desk as well. And, you know, again, like things like this, the the positive side is the added liquidity as a lot of legacy players uh, might feel a little more comfortable dealing with the intermediaries that they historically have for other products. And, you know, especially with, you know, what backed specifically is trying to do to kind of bring together that liquidity and the ability for retail to actually function at a large scale. You also kind of have to look at like, how they structure this and really how much room it leaves them to kind of create unbacked liabilities. I mean, I'm sure like, everybody in this space is very familiar in, in terms of uh, you know, manipulation in the legacy market, wh- what they've been doing with gold. Like the the amount of paper gold circulating is in insane excess of the actual amount of physical gold being held by the institutions that print this paper gold. And ultimately, like that same risk exists in the Bitcoin space. Like there is no asset in the world that is immune from the the risk of people just kind of printing uh, a paper promise of redemption without actually that asset existing to be redeemed, and like this is something when when we see like things like backed, things like Goldman Sachs um, moving into custody products as well as their trading desk to really be wary of, because at the end of the day, like if they get called if that bank run happens and they don't have that Bitcoin, they're fucked. They can't print Bitcoin out of thin air the way you can with something like a, a corporate stock that's been overpromised or overextended. But th- that paper circulating can still have an effect on the price. It still damages that scarcity. It still introduces more supply that can add sell pressure, down pressure on the price. And really, the only thing keeping that in check is how much Bitcoin these institutions can actually get their hands on. Because, like, I mean, after a point, like, they, they can't literally just print it out of thin air infinitely. Like, they can only do so to the point where they won't get caught. So, if you see like information or data pointing at, Let's say, I don't know, like two million Bitcoin being tossed around by something like Bach or Goldman Sachs. But you can kind of add up everything else in all the other like exchanges in the space held in people's private keys. And you can see that those numbers don't reconcile like somebody's going to call bullshit. There will be a run, and somebody's going to get left holding the back. So there is some kind of limit. On really how much they can play that game, and it really comes down to how much Bitcoin funnels into these institutions. And like that, you know, there, there are going to be hedge funds. There are going to be, you know, big wealthy investors who who move Bitcoin that they've purchased or purchased directly through institutions like this into custodial products like this. And really, there there's nothing we can do to stop that. All you can do is not move your coins into things like this and really try to educate people about the risks involved with it because i mean th- there's nothing you can inherently do to make just printing unbacked paper bitcoin impossible you can't the only thing you can do is really attempt to mitigate the damage that can cause the scale it can grow to and try to educate as many people as possible like of those risks i mean like Hopefully, I would like to see things like this pretty much just become an intermediary step along the process of Bitcoin growing where following this, we see much more secure products that move in the more quasi custodial direction where like an institution like Goldman Sachs or backed, would just act as a kind of an escrow or a cosigner on something or ultimately into a a more secure thought through system where people can just manage things directly themselves. But I mean, clearly we're not going to get there overnight without going through this phase first. And it's, you know, like, like I said, Sunday, we kind of looked mostly at the positives, mostly at the upside of these things. And I just kind of wanted to really look at the the downside and the negative, because this is pretty much what these institutions do. They play these games. They print these things that are unbacked because they can make money off of doing so. And ultimately, this is just a reality that we have to deal with. There, there is no protocol change that can make this impossible. There, like anybody who thinks you can just legislate this into impossibility, like you're you're kidding yourself. Like this is just a reality that has to be dealt with.
1: Yeah, I keep hearing a lot about market manipulation and it is one of those where it's like this is just a kind of a phase in Bitcoin's history in the sense that, you know, yeah, there's a large uh, percentage or there's a small percentage of wallets that still hold a good amount of Bitcoin. And, you know, those guys, uh, you know, they can do some things like spam the network or you know, uh, dump their coins if they want. And uh, but like you're saying, I mean, they can't play that game forever. There's only so much Bitcoin to go around. It's a limited supply. So their ability to do that weakens each time they do make one of those moves. So it is different in the sense that these uh, these these. Mechanics that keep Bitcoin scarce are locked down through this consensus mechanism we have in Bitcoin instead of like, because I want to make the analogy to the housing market, right? Where it's like there's this limited supply of houses, but they packaged all these insecure products on top of it and convinced people to invest in it. And it destroyed a a large portion of market where millions of people don't have homes. And they did. And it's one of these where, yeah, we should probably... Take utmost caution in uh, trying to figure out how this uh, custody works and making sure that it's done the right way before someone really does think it's a great idea to throw their money in it. Because, like, while it's a good, it's a, it was a positive announcement. It is certainly one of these things you have to keep your eye on and make sure that it's going to be done the right way. Because, um, yeah, there's lots of places for people to get hurt out there.
0: Mm-hmm. All right. Sorry, everybody, for the silence. I am being sent many things by Janine. <laughs> We've always got me. some uh,
1: some background memes going on here in the show.
0: <laughs> you know, I am really kind of shocked at Janine becoming a memer. Like, wh- wh- when, when did this happen, Janine?
2: <laughs> it's not that hard. I just looked up the It's a Trap meme because I see it a lot, and then I put that in
0: <laughs> goldman sachs offering <laughs> custodial services for cryptocurrency it's a trap
1: <laughs> yeah i love that it's a trap one My, i like the other one that uh, it's a it's an elaborate ruse that's for the upper uh, the upper class it's a trap i guess mm-hmm. but you know
0: it's just like there, there's <laughs> yeah, it's a mustache and a top hat.
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't have the screen share because I got to turn my bandwidth so low, but I, I I can't remember where I saw that. But as soon as I saw it, I was like, this was got to be the it's a trap for crypto.
0: Mm, but it's, you know, everything in life comes with a downside and an upside. And it just comes down to recognizing each of those and deciding how you're going to try or try at least to mitigate the downside. And so, yeah, I think at this point, I pretty much said most of what I wanted to say. I'm just going to keep rambling if I don't shut up. <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right. Was uh, the Bitmain in Texas story next, or was it uh, Janine's uh, Bcash censorship?
0: It is the censorship. So, oh, Jeanine- goodness, so much censorship. How do you think they like being censored? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, in the first story we are talking
2: about gatekeepers and, uh, it turns out that Bcash has some gatekeepers of its own because I believe this happened yesterday. Um, yeah, the basically lead developer of Bitcoin Cash has been banned from the Bitcoin Cash Slack. And this is a post by Roger Ver, who goes by Memory Dealers on Reddit, who apparently announced that he has been banned from the Bitcoin Cash Slack. Uh, and I don't actually see any explanation, but if you click on the image, um, he actually shows who was responsible for that. And it looks like the so-called Bcash strategist named Joel uh, Deleus, I'm not sure how to pronounce his name. Uh, And so people are asking, where's Amory? Uh, And he was making jokes about, Joel was making jokes about having eaten him or that there was a disturbance that made me peek from under my rock and then he disappeared. Uh, so basically just making light of the fact that they kicked out their lead developer from the Slack, and I don't really see any explanation for why that was happening. Some people were saying that he was challenging Craig Wright, and Craig Wright needs his safe space. It's very important for Craig Wright to have a safe space so he can write you know, all of those papers that he's not publishing um, and all that. So... <laughs> um yeah he's been banned and the funniest part i don't know if you linked to that reddit thread but um amory actually made his own post on our bitcoin Uh, i believe it was his reddit account um yeah it might be if you go to our bitcoin it might be there yeah there so amory actually made his own post on our bitcoin and he called bitcoin cash bcash so that was pretty interesting. <laughs> uh, and he said that, yeah, he, uh, I mean, he's con- he's calling himself the creator of Bcash because he was one of the primary people involved in for actually forking the code that led to Bitcoin Cash. Uh, and so he's calling it Bcash now, like a lot of, you know, supposedly bad Bitcoiners. And... <laughs> And he makes the point that, you know, they're constantly railing about how our Bitcoin is, you know, filled with all the censorship. And then he gets kicked out of the Slack for apparently no reason that we can see, no explanation. And if you go on, I actually probably wasn't in the show notes yet, but there was a weird uh, comment from Cobra. Let me grab it really quick.
0: Oh, yeah, I forgot to that and I had to close the windows and sorry stupid Google Chrome
2: yeah there was a uh, there was a weird uh, comment from Cobra about uh, congratulations like he said great job this is in response to Joel great job banning him takes courage to stand against prominent people like Amory. Aka next Even though I wouldn't have banned him, I can see why you felt he needed to be removed from the channel. But that's a really weird thing to say because he doesn't actually explain why he was removed from the channel. So like, why? I can see why you felt he needed to be removed. Like, why did he need to be removed? I still don't see the answer to that anywhere. Uh, Uh, unless the hypothesis that he was making Craig Wright sad and unsafe in his safe space for papers uh, was the problem.
0: Pretty much, like, I think what I've been able to piece together is part of it was him calling out Craig on being a scammer and a patent troll. But I think the bigger part of it was him talking about pre-consensus mechanisms. And so to kind of break this down uh, really quick, uh, pretty much the CSW camp, I guess you could say, are just delusionally living in fantasy land, thinking that miners will just orphan blocks with double spends in them. And this is just doubly retarded in that one that economically makes absolutely no sense unless you are literally talking about a situation where they are getting paid to orphan this double spend in excess of the value of that block's block reward and fees because they're losing money. They, they effectively throw work out the window and have to do extra work to orphan it. So like economically, it's not rational. And two, there is no objective way whatsoever for a miner to know out of two conflicting transactions, which is the real one and which is a double spend. Like it's, it's literally just delusionally living in fantasy. And what that Alnex is kind of been proposing as, I guess there is no better word, although I don't think it really applies, uh, but a more rational alternative to living in CSW's fantasy land is to work on kind of a pre-consensus mechanism. And so like things like this have actually been talked about in Bitcoin for a while now. Uh, the, the, the example that really jumps to mind is the concept called weak blocks. And pretty much what this is is a, a miner that is uh, mining on a specific block template when they hit a uh, a header hash, that is a certain fraction of the network difficulty. So not a valid block, but high enough that it shows a significant amount of hash rates been working on it, they'll broadcast it anyway. And that will kind of show the rest of the network, like if that miner finds a block, what they intend to include in it. And now objectively, I think this is completely just non-viable because it's still like, it it doesn't really commit to anything in the same way a block does. It's like a miner could throw out a weak block and then change the template. Like miners could specifically do this to disadvantage other miners, like get them thinking this block is what's going to come. And then they won't have to deal with the validation because it's already been validated and then hit them with another block and potentially like even have or trick a miner into mining an invalid block, and, and creating a conflict with what you actually mined. But like all, all these issues aside, like it's much more rational than just living in this fantasy land where miners can magically know which is a double spend and which isn't, and that they will orphan a block with a double spend that they can magically know about. Like it, it provides some degree of probability higher than a zero comp, as far as what's going to make it into the block. And if you really want to take it to the extreme, that's a basis objectively that miners could decide if there was any kind of incentive for them to do so, which isn't really addressed here to orphan it. And it could just be as simple as this doesn't match the weak block that this miner gave before. So we'll orphan that. And you don't have to think about which is the double spend or which isn't. It's just it doesn't match the weak block. But like I said, like I don't think this is actually a rational way to approach this problem at all. But looking at the CSW Fantasyland and what Dead Almex is proposing, it's a lot more relatively rational than what CSW is spewing. And pretty much like this is <laughs> like this is just like B-cashers losing their shit because most of them are just non-existent people, sock puppets, or completely technically illiterate morons just caving in on themselves and getting pissed at the competent people in their camp. Like, I mean, this is like a a pure demonstration of just anti-intellectualism. Like, you understand stuff, you are a demon, and we're not going to listen to you.
1: Man, it sounds so confusing over there on that side. I mean, just, yeah, this uh, censorship as far as just like, yeah, you don't want to step on anybody's toes and you've got these three guys with some pretty big egos and uh, their own pretty big ideas. And so, yeah, it has got to be a very difficult environment to develop in. And I think we're starting to see that like with this Dead Elnick story and a couple other things that I've seen here recently on Twitter as far as uh, developers and Bcash. And yeah, it's, I just can't even like imagine. I mean, like I know that uh, the way that, you know, Bitcoin's consensus works is pretty complicated and I mean, it's pretty robust and like there's so many varying opinions, but you're like, you're right. There's like this level of intellectual discussion that happens and uh, to be one of those intellectuals over there and bring up a, a a possibility to, have something in your system to help uh, develop it in a positive way, get shot down so quickly and then banned. I mean, yeah, these, uh, these aren't really good. I don't know what, I mean, like I'm not trying to say anything that's going to help those guys out, but I mean, I mean, like, I don't think there is a way, right. It's just like three characters that are sort of dominating that the way that development goes. And if you say something to step on somebody's toes wrong way then you might just get shut out even if you helped create
0: the initial four. Yeah. I mean, like ultimately it's just like, like B has become the little play toy of Craig, Wright. Like he is a, like, he's a fraud. That is objective. He is like just an insane person. That's objective. I have more money than your entire country. Like and he's just patent trolling like that. literally all he's he he lied. He pretended to be Satoshi. He isn't. He just goes on deranged rants, screaming at people because like if you if you yell loud enough and somebody doesn't understand you, they assume you're right. Like it's it's a like it is a textbook conman tactic, and he's just patenting this vague. Nonsense! That in every single case I've seen so far is there's decades of prior art, and he's just sitting there waiting until somebody implements something, somebody designs something that falls under this vague, nebulous patent that they've applied for, and he's going to sue them, and like that. That's it. That like that. He is a patent troll. He is like the most overhyped, insane patent troll. There has ever been. And, and he is somehow just paying sock puppets, just spewing his nonsense loud enough that clueless people go, okay, you're smart. Like, completely hijacked Bcash. And it's like, it's weird to say that. Like, Bcash exists to attempt to hijack Bitcoin, and it's failed miserably. And now it itself is being hijacked. Like, it, it, it's <laughs> absurd.
1: Yeah, man, it is definitely weird. And it's just one of those parts of the space where, you know, there's a lot of discussion about, well, it's just free market, you know, let the market decide and all that. And how much really do we have to be complaining? But it is one of these things that causes so much market confusion. Whenever we're in a time of education, that's so important to where people are starting to understand the concepts of Bitcoin and what exactly is going on that when you have one of these guys, it's like, yeah, this guy's smart. He's confident. He's like, you know, He's the Australian Trump, and, uh, you know, he knows what he's saying, so I'm going to listen to him, and it just, you know, those people go and talk to others. Or, well, I heard it's this, and you heard it's that, and it and it's just steering people in these directions. There's totally uh, just unproductive and actually, yeah, I mean, I don't know if it's causing more and more damage, but it's just not helping us actually move the system forward and help get people actually educated and shored up in what we're doing.
2: My papers are so big and long. You have never seen papers this good. I write the best papers.
1: <laughs> I've written more papers than you've ever seen. <laughs> um, that's a that's a that's like a double point.
0: Mm, I mean, it's like it's just it's it's ridiculous. Like it, it, B cash itself is an irrational dead end that just f- pretty much forked off from all the rational like game plans and how to scale the system. And now they're like eating themselves alive, chasing away the only semblance of rationality that exists in their ecosystem. I guess
1: the only thing I can say is maybe it's attracting that crowd that needs to have that value loss to actually learn a lesson. So I don't know. It's one of those theory things.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. All right, though. Got the B cash vent out of the system. Well, Want to break down what's going on with Bcash's former overlords? Yeah, man. It
1: looks like uh, Jahan and company are setting up about an hour outside of Texas in a little small town, of about 6,000 people called Rockdale. Rockdale, yeah, it's uh, a lot of headlines pushing the narrative of bringing jobs back to the area. And uh, that's not without reason. And uh, let me just say, you know, I'm sorry, I don't have the screen share, so I'm just going to read this and I might be all over the place. But um, yeah, so it's a lot of jobs narrative as far as the headlines go. And uh, that's not without reason. There's a local economy has been uh, had been propped up for over half a century between an aluminum smelting plant and a uh, connecting coal fire power plant. And however, uh, however, are, how are back in the mid-2000s, there was a dispute between the two companies about competitive power prices. Until both ended up closing shops and leaving the area, so that industry brought in around 2,000 employees at its peak in the early 2000s. But now all those jobs have been lost, with the last remaining employees leaving in late 2016. So the headline, as far as jobs being pushed, it's it's relevant for the area. So. Yeah, but now bitmain is purchasing those two pieces of property for a new data center that will bring an estimated 500 million dollars to the area over the next seven years it's also supposed to bring 400 new jobs to manage the data center and around another 100 plus spinoff jobs to support it and construction is already underway down there and bitmain estimates they will finish later this year with the data center running in early 2019 and fully operational in a couple of years Bitmain's also planning to partner with the local schools to provide technical training, to prepare members of the community for careers in the data center, which that's definitely necessary. Like I was saying, it's a small community that's been based around coal and aluminum smelting. So yeah, they definitely need some uh, some shoring up on the technical know-how of what's going on. But uh, Jeff, Stern, Jeff Stearns, executive VP and director of operations for Bitmain in North America said, quote, Bitmain is truly honored to announce this news and is excited to work with the local partners, government, and stakeholders in realizing this vision throughout the initial setup phase, operations, and beyond. So all of this Bitmain expansion, as because you know we they we've done some stories about them in Washington, Quebec, Switzerland. They, they're they're moving all around the globe there. And uh, so now this is their second setup here in uh, the United States. So all this expansion comes on top of a report released from the U.S. Treasury Department on August 1st titled A Financial System That Creates Economic Opportunities, Non-Bank Financials, Fintech and Innovation. That was addressed to President Trump. And the report doesn't make any uh, conclusions, any direct conclusions on Bitcoin or crypto, but it does outline a do no harm approach stating, quote, Support of innovation is critical across the regulatory system, both at the federal and state levels. Treasury supports encouraging the launch of new business models to pursue innovative technologies to lower cost, improve customer outcomes, and improve access to credit and other services. The report also created, creating the, sorry, getting my words mixed up. The report also recommends creating a regulatory sandbox similar to the UK stating, quote, While replicating this approach in the United States is complicated by the fragmentation of our financial regulatory system, Treasury is committed to working with federal and state financial regulators to establish a unified solution that accomplishes these objectives. And back in late March, we saw the creation of a regulatory sandbox for fintech in Arizona. And now maybe word is getting out that the Treasury Department supports this across the country. And uh, well, at least maybe that's why Bitmain is now uh, close to the second major deal on U.S. soil. And it's like we're saying, you know, a lot of the current market construct consists of backroom deals and um, and picking winners and losers. And, and maybe this is just uh, like we were saying, the SEC and a lot of these different departments are not very dependable at all as far as what they're trying to do. So maybe you need just somebody from the Treasury Department, the Secretary of Treasury, uh, addressing President Trump about this tech to actually give a market signal that it's okay to actually start doing this stuff. So uh, Bitmain is positioning themselves pretty well between being close to Austin's tech community. You know, Austin's a pretty big tech community. They've got a pretty large Bitcoin group there and other crypto groups. I think, I don't know if Factum's still around, but I know they came out of there. And uh, there's also a Samsung semiconductor plant in Austin. So however, yeah, I kind of wonder how efficient they'll be with the coal power plant. And it looks like the electricity costs around there between nine and 10 cents per kilowatt hour. So the company also picked up a pretty big sweetener on the deal in the form of a tax abatement that will be phased in over 10 years. So that's a tax abatement is temporary reduction or elimination of property taxes in the area. So I guess the bring that bring the jobs, but uh, the income for the local economy might take a little while to actually pick up. So this feels like a, a good thing for the small local economy, but also for the greater Austin area to become a major part of this uh, crypto scene here in the United States, because like we're saying, they've got the techies in Austin. They got a SIM, a Samsung fabricate fabrication plant there, and they got their uh, power plant and this, uh, old aluminum plant that they could repurpose for a big, uh, mining facility. And, uh, it just makes me a little uncomfortable because it's a bit main, but I imagine we'll start seeing more and more of these deals where there are power plants and substations attached to large properties, close to fabricators. That way the ship to farm efficiency will effectively be captured by these large players. And, uh, I mean, we've seen it like, we just did a story not too long ago about Colorado Springs old Intel plant with a sub, with two substations. And, uh, There was another story we did where a company bought a uh, power plant i think in wyoming maybe it was not wyoming i'm sorry so uh yeah either way all these other traditional players they most likely have a lot of these properties and networks in place but will need to be retrofitted for mining so bitmain is just trying to stay a major player even when these major players show up it's the way I, i felt about the story but it is uh it's one of those things where it's like you know it's a we talk about geopolitics around the world and everybody's screaming about who's influencing who here in America. And you have this multi-billion dollar Chinese company working pretty closely with the Chinese government. And, you know, I I, I mean, I don't know, maybe that's a little speculation, but I mean, it seems like uh, they definitely been pulled into the house to talk about this stuff with the Chinese government. And now they've done their expansion around the globe you know there's like some background worry thought there about what exactly is going on but um I mean for the most part I could see like they're just trying to stay relevant for whenever some big major players do show up that already have facilities in place that are not being repurposed They're, I mean well they're being retrofitted not really being repurposed so yeah Bitmain's in the Lone Star State man they're They were in Washington, now they're in Texas. I mean, those are two of those like states where it's not like saying you're in Ohio or Idaho. I mean, Washington and Texas, man, those kind of bring in the ring of like independence and stuff. But I don't know, man, we'll see. It's bit May.
0: Yeah, I think it's pretty clear at this point. Like what, what they're doing, I think, is establishing all of these farms everywhere they can in North America. I think pretty much their logic is just try to capture all of the cheap electricity they can, all of the actual spacing and try to concentrate their stranglehold on hosting as much as possible like versus like their situation in China. I mean like there, there are a lot of hosting facilities they run in China. But I also think there are a lot of independent mines and uh, farms out there as well. And I think what they're trying to do is kind of expand internationally as much as possible, given that the Chinese government is trying to kind of coax all of the hash rate out of China without really coming down with a hammer, so to say, just kind of going after those making illegal power deals or not following the law or regulations And Bitmain is trying to kind of set itself up to be the only feasible alternative as far as where to migrate their hash rate to. Because I mean, like there there are a lot of complexities that come with that. Like you need, you need actual housing and warehouses to store your equipment. You need access to competitive electricity. You're going to need like all of the utilities and the facilities set up. Like depending on the climate, like you're going to need like, cooling. So not necessarily like going as crazy as like liquid cooling or anything, but just like airflow cooling, like you're going to actually need the building set up to handle that, like to prevent ambient heat from building up in in the actual building. And like for a mining operation that's already set up and sunk those costs in somewhere, that's incredibly expensive to think about transplanting everything, having to pay all those costs again and then recoup that while you're already in the middle of a running operation. And I think Bitmain is really kind of trying to abuse their capitalization to force people into using their hosting solutions. I mean, it's really, I can't really think of anything else. I mean, like I I do not think, like I think we would see in terms of sales, if they were just going to start cranking out equipment and operating them directly themselves like they wouldn't be able to hide that and so like logically like i can't really think of anything else they're trying to do except just kind of force all these miners into their facilities as they slowly figure out like how and where they're migrating to out of china
1: yeah, we definitely really haven't seen them play that retail side of the game that much except for some of these altcoins and uh, developing some basics there because, yeah, there's not really any market competition in that at all yet. But uh, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, they've definitely got some work ahead of them and it's it's hard to really say that it's uh, something that's going to be helpful in the effort to further decentralize bitcoin and keep moving mining outward it's one of those uh, stories where it does kind of have me a little worried about how the whole uh mining ecosystem is exactly going to play out i mean right now i know that the uh, little guy is uh kind of hurting because of uh you know well i mean it depends on their setup it just feels like these uh, major players are getting a lot easier deal and uh, pushing like you're saying pushing their economic weight around to sort of uh just grab up all the equipment and make sure that it's all running the most efficient and try and just discourage any of these uh, little operations. But I don't know, you know, I don't get that much into mining. So whenever I do these stories on mining, it's always a little curious to me how exactly the miners feel about this. And a uh, shout out to Jonathan Bertrand for, uh, you know,
0: pointing this pointing the story out to me. Mm -hmm. but it's like it's i just i really can't like unless bitmain is literally just cranking out hardware in the shadows to operate directly themselves i can't think of anything that they could be doing except trying to build out places for hash rate to migrate to from china i mean it's it's one of the two like nothing else makes any sense to me looking at like the rapid expansion all over the world they're doing
1: yeah, I wonder if they know if they're in the inside track there, if they know like, okay, you know, this whole China, Bitcoin in China thing, you know, it can get in here, but China's going to be forcing people to use something else. And it's time to pick up my house and move somewhere else. I don't know. Maybe it's got a little bit of inside knowledge here.
0: Mm-hmm. But yep, I nothing to do but wait and see. And hope that competition keeps eating them alive. I mean, you know, if I'm right and they're trying to set up hosting for hash rate from China to migrate to, like they're really pushing deeper in their sofa online. Like it's like they just keep branching their businesses out more and more. And I mean you like I I just really can't read that any other way except really being crunched in terms of their projections of the, the long-term revenue of the company in the face of competition and just like trying to diversify their revenue streams as much as possible i mean like ultimately like even if somebody's buying like hash rate from somewhere like gmo or samsung i mean you can at least make money hosting their equipment
1: right yeah it's a multi-layered game to play there that's where it's like uh it's the headache
0: Mm-hmm. But I guess to kind of segue a little bit out of the Bitcoin space, um, I hope everybody is seeing this. And let me start off by um, yes, Alex Jones is batshit insane. Yes, a lot of the content uh... on InfoWars is a. <laughs> but, you know, spewing insane conspiracy theories doesn't mean that absolutely everything that comes out of your mouth is false. Like spewing and saying conspiracy theories doesn't mean you shouldn't have the right to speak. And excuse me while I sneeze. You don't have the right to sneeze. Um, fuck you. I assert my right. To sneeze <laughs> under,
1: All right. Well, thank you for saving us.
0: Under the Pakistani constitution. <laughs> All right, but pretty much Apple, Spotify, Facebook, and YouTube all shut down Alex Jones accounts within like a few hours of each other. All coordinated together, all on the same day. And I mean, like this, like this is fucked. Like this is it's just fucked and honestly a little scary to me that somebody who just people don't like what he says can be completely shut out of almost every major informational distribution platform on the internet. I mean, you know, like I said, when we first started, yeah, the guy's a nut. But I mean, in his divorce case, we can see like he's clearly intentionally dramatizing things. Like he's playing a character. And also, like I said, The the insane, crazy nonsense that he says doesn't make the things that he says that are true or rational untrue. Like it's it's a hyperbolous show. Like they they push the they push the limit. They try to make it seem extreme and ridiculous to draw attention. And like as a viewer, if you're not really just buying wholesale into all the crazy insanities views you have to sift through to separate the nonsense from the fact i mean that's that goes for anything i mean this is just one of the most extreme cases but like th- this really bodes very ominously for free speech on the internet and just in general the the media like we we've seen over the last like five years or so An insane uptick in distrust of the media, an insane uptick in alternative distribution methods for information and analysis of what's going on in the world. And like this literally is the first time aside from, you know, maybe you could qualify a lot of the attempts to kind of strangle WikiLeaks out of existence. As the exception to that, like that, a a major alternative, like distributor of information has just been totally shut out of all the information platforms on the internet. And I do not think that this is going to be the last time, like at all. And like, this is like, especially being in the cryptocurrency space, like this is an important thing to look at and to think about. Because it, it, like this is setting the precedent that if you say things that influential people don't like, you will effectively be shut out of digital society. You will be unable to actually put out the information that you're trying to put out for people to consider or look at.
1: Yeah, I mean, we joke about it on this show every now and again about somebody coming to get us or shut us down because our connection's getting weak. But it is getting scary at this point with this the level of censorship and the brazen, you know, company. Like, yeah, this list of companies that just did this brazen act of censorship just in the face of... Yeah, I mean, I guess it's fear that, uh, you know, this guy is, uh, you know, pushing this character so well that it's actually having an effect on society and not you know um maybe that we're putting pressure on him to make him feel like he's got to do this i mean he really is a character i've seen some of his stuff where he's just like uh takes on the globalist with boxing gloves or you know just like bare knuckles, he's a little nuts out there but i mean yeah it's just it's such a violation of the first amendment and it's one of the We got the midterms coming up, and it's just like you were saying. I mean, we've seen WikiLeaks and Julian Assange been under trouble, and now this. And just recently, I mean, this morning, Giacomo uh, had his Twitter account put on hold, which that's happened, I guess, to several people in crypto Twitter, and um, they've been suspended. And I know that you've even had your issue with a bunch of people flagging you and uh, just sort of the way that all that uh, automated stuff works out. And so I know there's hangups there, but just to like come out as a blanket statement from all these companies to say, well, we don't like this opinion. This is dissenting information that's causing too much trouble to where we're just going to shut it down. It's uh, it just is contrary to what the country stands for as far as allowing that freedom of information to flow so that, Best ideas rise to the top. I mean, like I'm, you know, I'm not saying Alex Jones and Infowars the best ideas, but I mean, if you do this and you make this precedent, I mean, who's to say you're not going to shut down the next uh, Facebook, Twitter, Google company that is uh, coming up around the ranks? And there's lots of smart people coming together, and you're just going to shut them down. I mean, it's a terrible thing. To set a precedent on whenever you're supposed to be working in that flow of information and uh, in this new age where we're supposed to actually kind of get some asymmetry from the information where more people are educated and more people are knowledgeable about what's going on in the world. And, you know, you may not like the information, but where does it end? Right. Where is where does it end?
0: hmm. And uh, give me a second while I switch my audio input, but I do not think it would be right to uh, talk about this without playing his, despite the seriousness of the topic, hilarious uh, comment and reaction to it. (laughs) So audio should be starting in just a second.
3: You'll You'll never, never defeat the human spirit. You'll never defeat God. You'll never win. Never, never, ever, never. And this is where we get tested. So rejoice to God Almighty for this animated contest of liberty. Ah!
1: He it just—it doesn't even sound like a human being. He's like this, you know. It like, like you're saying, he's just a total character. I mean, it's—it's it's like it's—it's it's almost like a, a tragedy. He's like an American, you know, not hero, but he's definitely one of these unique American entities.
2: So I just want to point out, even though the, the person who tweeted out that GIF said that that was him reacting to being banned on various social media platforms, that actually wasn't his reaction to the current events. It was an old GIF that was repurposed. Uh, so I just want to point that out, but it still fits anyway. <laughs> um, so my you thoughts on... You just
0: made us fake news. <laughs> no, I was, no, no, I, no, no i was going
2: i was going to explain that. i still think he probably did react that way so it's not entirely fake news i just wanted to clarify that that it's an old gif technically but it, he probably said that anyway <laughs> uh so my thoughts on this is that under normal circumstances i really wouldn't give a shit that he got kicked off all these platforms because as many people have pointed out multiple times before, most of his money does not come from even advertising on YouTube, which most people assume that that's probably what he makes money from because he has so many viewers, but actually what he makes most of his money from is selling bogus products like Rick pointed out. They sell these like red pills. Uh, it might be a joke. They also sell these like diet pills and I'm pretty sure at one point there was like anti-fluoride stuff The fluoride in the water, yeah. They're not all bogus, but most of them are bogus. (laughs) Um, so he he makes money selling products of questionable quality, and so I'm honestly surprised that it's taken this long for him to be suspended, banned, whatever off of these birds. Like, I'm surprised he's lasted this many years, and so I normally wouldn't care. Uh, Because, I mean, I'm pretty sure a lot of the stuff that he does is in violation of the various rules of these different platforms. Interestingly enough, Twitter, uh, Jack Dorsey noted that Twitter has not banned him uh, because they say he hasn't violated the Twitter rules, which is very interesting because you think of all the people who would (laughs) be getting their accounts suspended, it would probably be Alec Jones and not a bunch of the people like Giacomo and uh, Shinobi that we've seen get their accounts, you know, temporarily suspended. Um, The reason that I would find this concerning, well, like like I said, normally under normal circumstances, wouldn't care. The reason this is concerning, though, is because of how coordinated it was. It all happened on the same day. And I think it's interesting that Twitter did not take action because uh, many people have been pointing out that uh, within the last six months or so there's been pressure from the US government on these various platforms and I think also the European Union as well, but mostly from the US government to um, to clamp down on stuff like this people like him that are putting out you know this kind of content uh, they didn't mention him specifically obviously but just they are they're imposing fines now on all these social media companies for not taking, not making a big, or not taking uh, more stringent um, policies on, you know, the types of content that they allow on their platform and, you know, thought policing and things like that. And so I'm not too surprised that with that in mind they all did it on the same day because i mean normally the different social media platforms don't coordinate that much when it comes to stuff like this so the fact the fact that they did it for him i think is supposed to signal that you know there's something going on in the background that we don't really know about as much so if it's like, and also the reason I wouldn't care as much is because, like I said, these are private platforms. You know, when you sign up to them, you agree to the rules and they can ban you at any time. Like, sorry, that's just what happens. Uh, a private company like Google or Facebook or whatever does not, like, you don't have any rights, free speech rights on any of these platforms. They're not, they're not public spaces. They're private companies. Um, but if the government... If the U.S. government or the EU government or whatever government, you know, put pressure on them, if they are imposing, you know, those controls and that is like stuff like this happening is the result of that, then obviously that is a free speech issue. So it's kind of murky because if we're not really sure what caused them to, you know, remove him from the platforms, then we don't know, you know, how much of a free speech issue it is.
0: Well, see, normally I would agree with you, but my issue with this is that th- these platforms do not consistently enforce these rules at all. Like th- this is this is not a case of they have rules, you break them, you're gone. This is a case of we only enforce rules if we feel like it or we don't like you. I mean, like you, d- like there is a litany. Of videos on YouTube that are, are just fuck white people. White people are all racist. All white people should be killed. And none of this content is taken down. None of this, these people are hit with infringement of rules or, or penalized in any way. But like one of the like big cases constantly made against Alex Jones is his criticism of Islam and just how that can go very wrong when you're speaking about radical Islam. And those things are constantly flagged, constantly hit with penalties for rule violations. And so it's like, yes, it it is a private platform, but they are not consistently enforcing the rules. This is very clearly targeted in one side of the spectrum, in one direction. And I very much have a problem with that. Like, if you're going to run a platform, uh, a private platform, set up rules, then enforce them even-handedly. But that's not what these platforms are doing.
1: Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead.
2: I mean, yeah. Again, like, there's there's the issue of, like, what would I like Twitter, Facebook, and Google to do, which is be consistent? And then there's what are they required to do by law? And obviously, they have no obligation like they can change their rules arbitrarily at any time they make changes to their privacy policies all of that all the time without actually notifying people uh for example twitter um when was that i think it was uh, within the last two years or so they added um they added a like a disclaimer or something to one of their rules about who uh, who is allowed to promote violence on social media. Now, under normal circumstances, no one is allowed to promote violence on social media unless they have an exception. In their they added an exception, which is if you are a government entity or a government-sponsored entity, then you are allowed to promote violence, which like. You know, obviously that's not very consistent. Uh, It also says a lot about the kinds of (laughs) politics that they have and what they allow. Uh, But I mean, yeah, they're they're not very consistent about how they, you know, actually execute these roles. I wouldn't say it's particularly one-sided. I almost, I, I find it kind of arbitrary for the most part because I've seen people across the spectrum get their accounts closed down or suspended for a litany of really obscure and stupid reasons um but this is something that's probably going to increase and it may be in the future it's going to be more politically motivated they're going to be going after specific people especially if they're going to just succumb to government pressure like this they're going to you know specifically go after the people that the government is concerned about and not just you know arbitrarily enforcing their own rules or you know Closing down accounts that get flagged, and they don't actually check whether it's a violation of the rules or not.
3: Um,
0: well, I mean, so that's what, sorry, but like one one last comment on my part, uh, so we don't get into a super long political discussion. But I mean, just look at Chair Sarah Jeong from uh, the New York Times. Look at all of those insanely racist tweets she puts out. They have specific terms about. Like hate speech. Like, I was literally just flagged for that, for telling somebody stop doing drugs. I was flagged for hate speech. Her account's still there. All those tweets are still up. And Candace Owens the other day literally just verbatim copied those tweets, except replaced white people with Jewish people. And her account was instantly flagged.
1: Yeah, that's where it's like my comment on this whole thing is, yeah, we don't know why these companies do what they do and when they I mean, like you were saying just a minute ago, as far as saying that government entities on Twitter can make comments of violence. That was soon after Trump and Kim Jong Un were getting into it about war and, and on Twitter. So I think they like you know, felt that the situation was a lot of people were saying, oh, you know, how can they do this on Twitter? It's so brazen. And it's like, okay, well, we kind of need to make a statement about that. And then they wait till something big happens with a political blowback and they say, okay, well, we're going to correct all that. It's just like some of these coins adjusting their roadmaps and saying that they're immutable and decentralized. It's, it's like you're you're playing this game of this platform similar to the way that the media is supposed to be like the fourth estate. It's like this new thing with the internet and this, you know, asymmetry of information. And, you know, you're not supposed to, you know, inhibit some of these discussions here in this country. And, you know, one of the reasons for that is because, yeah, the reaction might be pretty bad. And I think his reaction to this is actually, yeah, it could be pretty bad. I mean, you know, he was, I actually kind of looked into it whenever it was happening, just to be like, what is going on? And like, I watched like five minutes of it. And in that five minutes, he was like, sign up for our newsletter, download our app. We're not going to be on these platforms anymore. We're going to be here. And so, yeah, he's he's going to continue selling his supplements, which supplements have a terrible regulatory market. So I'm not going to say like bad or good about any of that. But I mean, it will consolidate his uh, his viewers and his uh, his ability to, you know, Help those viewers try and understand the world and then it'll further isolate them. And then it might put them in a position where they feel like they don't have anything left to do once Trump says something and his Twitter gets banned. And then, you know, like we have a friggin' battle because somebody got banned on Twitter. I mean, it's just it's kind of dangerous for the situation, is the the way I see it is, you know, if you're gonna do these sort of things. You need to have clear guidelines in place to where people know what they're interacting with on your platform. I mean, we've seen it with YouTube where YouTube channels get demonetized and taken down without any sort of real reference as to why other than they were flagged or, uh, they, you know, we could guess. We've seen it with Netflix. Netflix, you know, they purchase all these different deals and they won't give the people who produce the artwork any of the information as far as the numbers that are people viewing that information, which, you know that's their platform. I mean, they, they want to do that. That's fine. It's kind of comes with the territory, but it's like, let us know these, uh, these terms and conditions before we actually get involved. But I, I can understand it's like a growth problem where it's like, everybody was on Twitter pretty early because Twitter was like the first Twitter and Facebook was the first Facebook and you know, they're everybody's sort of figuring it out as we go along. But this is definitely a different, uh, it's a difficult situation to say that it's just a, uh, because he's violated terms and conditions, just because of the timing, you see the midterm elections coming up and then you'd see about how, what these guys talked about as far as like this influenced the election and that influenced the election. So it kind of makes me think this has got a little bit to do with trying to steer public opinion in order to get an outcome of a vote. And the reality is like, I don't even think that the outcome of that vote is to necessarily get any sort of legislation through, but maybe just to solve a court case in a district. It's, it's gotten so, nichely stupid that these guys could do this sort of thing unilaterally and say this isn't going to be that much of an issue. I mean, like, I'm sure they were expecting some blowback, but at this point they've got some net neutrality, favorability bills passed through, and, you know, that we've got all sorts of precedents set as far as Fourth Amendment rights being broken and people questioning this amendment, not amendment and all these different laws. So I guess it's just upsetting to see in the sense that this is supposed to be like an open discussion and sort of the information doesn't really get censored. And even though it's stupid, that just means you'll have a less crowd, not really that big. Instead, just shutting them down like that, it shows some sort of motive and you got to look at the timing and the political motivations behind all this. All right. I think that's my two cents.
0: Mm-hmm. All right. But, uh, slide along the 30 minute to go, Mark. Let me try and pick up the pace a little bit. Uh, the, Pretty much in March, uh, if you guys remember, we talked about uh, the 16 uh, licensed exchanges in Japan getting together to form a self-regulatory organization. Uh, That group, the Japan Virtual Currency Exchange Association, has officially applied for certification uh, and are actually making a lot of forward progress. Oh is uh, they're, they're applying for a certification as a fund settlement business association. and actually making some pretty bold um, goals for themselves. Uh, effectively, what they're trying to do is kind of set this up, uh, get their official certification, and they've already, Drawn up a 100 page draft of self regulatory rules, um, some of which include obviously uh, a requirement to not support privacy centric coins such as Monero and Dash, and uh, bans on things like insider trading. But Effectively, what the long-term goal is, is to get certified, implement these regulations, which they can't actually do until certified as a fund settlement uh, business association, and then pretty much try to work with the FSA and move towards the point where they're effectively regulating themselves. So pretty, they, 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 they literally kind of want to partner with the FSA and get to the point where the financial service authority in Japan is not a, a regulatory influence on the crypto community in Japan. Like they would be completely autonomous, completely self-regulatory. And this is, um, one, one last thing that they were um, also considering is a four to one cap on margin trading to kind of limit uh, things like the the OKX um, incident, which we covered on Sunday, but this is kind of coming on the heels of the FSA kind of getting a little more strict. Uh, for instance, the business improvement orders they recently slapped six exchanges with. The fact that they have finally rejected uh, the first exchange application uh, recently outright, and that they are overall. Um, it's, it's rumored, at least, to be completely reconsidering how they're handling, regulating crypto exchanges at all. And according to the rumors, the FSA is considering regulating cryptocurrency exchanges under the Financial Instruments and Exchange Act, which would pretty much put them in the same category as like your normal stock brokerage or securities firms which would be a lot more cumbersome, you know, regulations and probably a lot of limitations in terms of interacting with the consumers. But like looking at this, I think that this is really aside from, you know, things like I'm still waiting to see the actual draft. I haven't been able to find the uh, rule draft anywhere, but aside from the, the privacy coin ban, I think this is looking very positive like the the, this is pretty much every licensed exchange in japan working together on this and really like they're not they're not kind of looking at like a half-assed attempt at just appeasing regulators like they are setting a very audacious goal of completely removing the need for the fsa to be a regulatory influence on the ecosystem in japan like they want to be completely self-regulating and i think you know especially given the cultural attitude uh as far as authority and government in japan i think this is a hugely positive thing like they are moving in the direction of like pretty much like government get the fuck out of here like we can handle this shit on our own and i think they're showing a lot of determination and responsibility in doing that like they've they haven't even been certified as an association yet. And they already have a complete draft of rules and regulations for the exchanges to follow with all of them on board for doing so like that. This is not like appeasing the government. This is not hollow words. They're actually putting the work into doing this. And I think if this really succeeds and gets to the end for the end, I'm sorry. Don't drink pop. It makes bubbles cup out of your stomach. But um, if they get to their end goal, like this would be an amazing thing, not only just for Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies in Japan, but just as a model for the whole world to look at, like step back, like get the government tendrils out of everything and actually let this market regulate itself, like stop trying to hamstring things, play gatekeeper, and impose like regulations or requirements that just don't make sense in this ecosystem. Just get the hell back and and let these companies figure things out.
1: Yeah. Just a quick comment was like, yeah, this is sort of the things that I've, that we've been hoping for, we'd see here is uh, just, you know, more people sort of coming together and setting best practices and making sure that uh, people aren't getting hurt to where, The uh, regulators won't come smashing down on us, which nowadays in this perspective, it doesn't seem like that's necessarily going to happen anytime soon. It's just, uh, you know, they're getting the work done where it's like we, like we said in that story earlier with the Eck, it's just like we're dragging our heels and dragging our heels is uh, causing the uh, industry here in the United States to get lagged behind. So it'd be a good thing to see here.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: i mean it's nothing i mean the worst is it doesn't happen and nothing really changes but on the upside if this does really work out then it is just a huge boon for the entire ecosystem in japan all right well, this this next one is more just a quick uh commentary i'm gonna buzz through there is really like no substantial meat uh, to this story but a presidential candidate in Brazil, uh, or Brazil, and I'm going to butcher the living hell out of this name. I apologize ahead of time. Uh, Joao uh, um, wadi Okay, I, I, I give up. But um, a presidential candidate in Brazil made a number of remarks about uh, blockchain in general and just how this could actually... Um, improve uh, different areas it's applied in it's it's the same kind of nonsense really like supply chain Um, brazil actually has a lot of problems with the integrity of supply chains specifically food and water contamination which they want to try and solve with blockchains but um, that doesn't really fix anything if people enter fraudulent data so that's really just the same kind of like a politician using a word they don't understand try to win public support and also saying he doesn't see things like bitcoin as a threat to the traditional banking system and that he overall sees no reason why bitcoin should not be considered a legal um means of payment like for instance if, if both parties want to use bitcoin in exchange there there should be nothing kind of stopping them uh, like just, just kind of wanted to like mention this quick. It's like it's it's pretty clear he doesn't actually understand the underlying mechanisms and any of that. But it's it's kind of interesting to see a politician just positive and receptive to the concept overall, especially in Brazil. Like it is a place with a lot of financial restrictions, especially for immigrants, and just overall a lot of problems in the country. And I think, you know, a positive attitude there just in allowing access to go unfettered without overburdening it with regulations could just be a net positive for people living in Brazil. But kind of move along to the next story. Um, I'm sure everybody's been following along uh, with Cody Wilson and the entire DefCAD situation. And... Like this might not seem very related to the crypto space aside from Cody's work on dark wallet and just him being a crypto anarchist in general. But this is one of the most important legal issues that is going to have an effect on cryptocurrencies that is happening. And just, just a quick recap. um, The government pretty much capitulated and, allowed Cody to distribute the CAD files for all of the, uh, the DefCAD uh, guns, one of which is the Liberator, the plastic pistol. And most of the other files are actually for computer controlled milling machines for guns actually made out of metal. So I just kind of wanted to make that distinction here. But really at the heart of this, it comes down to a, an issue of free speech. And just how this specific instance of it is being wildly abused to just generate fear and, and emotional reactions to something that is really nowhere near as fucking bad as a lot of politicians and people in the public eye are trying to make this. I mean, ultimately the, the CAD file is, is effectively the same as computer code. It's just information. And in most cases, aside from, you know, things like malware or software that literally has no purpose whatsoever except to accomplish illegal things, source code has been historically protected under free speech and the distribution of code as protected speech. And this whole situation with DefCAD is pretty much being used as a means to kind of revert back that general precedent in the court. I really the overall like dynamic of this situation is like there, there's only one pistol here. That's plastic. The, the liberator. And it's, it's actually a nod to the, the liberator from world war II, which was a one shot pistol that was actually airdropped frequently into France for resistance members to pretty much, used to take down nazi soldiers and steal their weapons and slowly build up weapons caches like that and it, it was really just kind of a proof of concept like it's the the idea that that pistol is going to rapidly increase the <laughs> instances of violence in areas that are usually you know set up to prevent people from bring or bringing firearms in is just ludicrous like the the gun is very likely to explode in your hand if you don't actually put a block of metal in it to reinforce the structure and ultimately a bullet is going to set off a metal detector itself so like the the, the entire train of logic is ludicrous and then as far as all, all the other blueprints for actual metal guns used from a milling machine like these are all legal weapons like they can be legally owned any, anywhere you, that you can actually purchase them. It is actually legal in, in this country to mill your own gun. So the, the idea that simply, you know, having these digital blueprints effectively to produce something that is entirely legal to produce, entirely legal to own, like th- this is just an entirely fear-based nonsense campaign that is trying to roll back like this precedent historically that, that distributing source code is protected speech. And th- this is going to have an effect on the cryptocurrency ecosystem one way or another. Like, I, And I fully believe that this is going to wind up going before the Supreme Court. Like if this is ruled against and it's determined that this is not protected speech, then it is not that far of a jump at all to make that same argument for cryptographic software. And that is a very dangerous thing in terms of the effects that it will have on this ecosystem. And on the flip side, if this is finally ruled in favor of and is decided to be protected speech, then that is something that is very good for this space, as it makes attempts to make this same argument for cryptographic software much more difficult. Because if you, if you literally can't convince pe- people that blueprints for guns should not be distributable, then how can you make that argument about encryption software? And so, like, I'm not sure how all of the viewers really stand on guns, but This is a very important issue to pay attention to, and it will have big consequences for this ecosystem.
2: Yeah, and I just want to point out for anyone who's not really, you know, seeing the connection between how the decision on this code for 3D printed guns could affect, you know, cryptography or cryptocurrencies, just want to remind everyone that uh, in the 90s, there was this thing going on where the United States had classified um, cryptographic software as munitions, weapons. You so like they they made that giant leap. You no, know, not too long ago, so they can always make that kind of giant leap again.
1: Yeah, I think that was in the mid '90s that they finally declassified that, so people could actually spread information. It, it is kind of a uh like exactly it's like the AutoCAD files like just you know that there is just so much heat behind the fact that yeah there's like a narrative there as far as like these are guns and there's already like this big gun debate going on it's it's very important to keep an eye on but it's uh yeah the auto yeah like you were saying the liberator the plastic gun like I wouldn't Yeah, it's like it's good fear mongering for these people, but it's definitely not feasible. I mean, like and especially the metal milling machine, I mean, like what is how many are there out there as far as like 3D printing metal milling machines? I mean, I don't think there's that many out there yet. And I mean, yeah, I mean, we've got a huge, large gun industry and I mean, I keep saying I mean, I'm sorry, but yeah. There's just a lot going on there, and I kind of worry about the fearful response of it, and it might go to the Supreme Court. I mean, the only good thing I could say there is recently some, I guess, some extra conservatives went there on the court. This is, uh, you know, kind of a hit and miss there with the court where it's like, what, what are they going in for and how are the judges leaning and everything? They look like they're leaning pretty conservative as that goes now, so. Hopefully, we can get a favorable ruling there because, yeah, this will definitely have a uh, precedent on uh, cryptographic uh, protocols and yeah, open source technology, all that sort of stuff. So, it's definitely something I'm going to keep my eye on, and I'm not too fearful of a plastic gun. Odds are, somebody would probably configure it wrong and hurt themselves more than me.
0: Mm-hmm. And I guess next up, uh, an update on Fluffy Pony's secret crypto empire. so there is a uh, a Latvian networking company called Microtik that produces routers and they have been infected with malware that is literally one of the most ingenious crypto jacking exploits I have seen yet like this is brilliant so in April this year, they this company patched a remote access vulnerability um, that allowed attackers to gain uh, unauthenticated access to the router. And <laughs> that allowed some researchers to develop a proof of concept exploit against this router and it is so common in, in IT security. There were a shit ton of people who were very lax in applying these patches. So, over a hundred and eighty-three thousand of these routers were compromised in Brazil. Sixteen, or around sixteen thousand, and then twenty-five thousand in another grouping were found in Moldova. And pretty much what this does is it pretty much takes CoinHive and inserts it into the website of any computer being served web content through these routers. So it, it's not actually the, these routers that <laughs> have been like compromised and in turn to mining Monero, but these routers have been set up in order to hijack all of the computers viewing web or web pages through them and kind of like it, it's it's the routers hijacked hijacking all of these computers to mine monero for them and i mean like th- this is fucking brilliant <laughs> yeah those uh monero
1: guys man they're pretty uh secretive in their way that they can get your computer to get them some crypto and uh, yeah this was definitely an interesting story and uh yeah definitely got me looking at my router twice but luckily all that was kind of delegated to some few areas in the globe and uh as far as right now goes and that we know but definitely keeping this eye on this whole you know background crypto miner thing i was at that discon recently there was this guy giving this talk on uh hacking crypto and he just got into all the elaborate things he does to try and get uh web miners to mine and then send him back some crypto at the end and uh there's definitely some ingenious things out there that, uh, you know, are still, you know, being used in moderation and uh, being tested as far as it goes. And um, it's, uh yeah, <laughs> good job, uh, I guess, getting this, uh, this software in there and actually getting some uh, crypto back on your end.
0: Mm-hmm. But I mean, it's just like, it's so brilliant. It's like when you when you have like a botnet mining monero like this like a crypto jacking like you actually have to compromise each device that 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 you want to start mining monero so it's like you, you have to like compromise every server every smartphone every computer and like that's Like, it's it's a lot of work and effort to really, like, have a broad enough, like, cache of exploits to get a large amount of devices. But, like, in in compromising the router like this, I mean, 200,000 routers in Brazil. Imagine how many computers are, are being served web traffic through those routers. Like, it magnitudes more than the actual compromise routers and you don't actually have to compromise or break the security of any of those devices it's just getting served Coinhive through the router and doing it in the browser like it's fucking brilliant
1: <laughs> oh man yeah it's uh it's definitely going to be some more stories like this in the future as far as uh new unique ways that uh coin hubs being used and malware to yeah mine some crypto it's uh it's interesting because yeah i'm actually looking into this project where it's mesh networks and routers trying to pay nodes and everything it's like i might need to look into this
0: i mean you know sorry can go ahead
1: yeah and
2: this is one of the reason or one of the you know secondary reasons that i like cryptocurrencies because it exposes how shitty internet security is, how shitty computer security is. So you can bet your ass that this kind of exploit is probably being used by someone with much greater power, uh, but with no interest in mining Monero. And, you know, or if they don't already know about this exploit, which would really surprise me, they're going to start using it now, which means you better patch because you know you could be getting served much more malicious crap through your router uh because you know you don't update the firmware or it's a shitty router company multitude of reasons but they like all of these companies really need to step up their game because like you basic like that's what cryptocurrencies do they're incentivizing finding security holes in computers they're finding security holes in computers and like That's that's a big deal. It's going to I like hopefully it accelerates you know fixing all of these issues.
0: And this is why I love Monero, like specifically, because like just Bitcoin, like this this is not a big enough incentive because there there really isn't that scale of incentive to start compromising things or trying to figure out how just to steal Bitcoins because so few people own Bitcoin, and by the time like that changes itself and, and it's very widely distributed, it's gonna be a huge fucking problem because now everybody's coins are at risk. Whereas Monero being CPU mineable, like this is a direct incentive to do this shit now because it's not about stealing somebody's cryptocurrencies, it's about getting their computer to make you cryptocurrency. And so like, like people shit on Monero, they say it's completely useless, no. I would not want to be in this ecosystem without something like Monero because Monero is the canary in the coal mine in terms of incentives for all of these vulnerabilities and systems to be found now before most of the population owns Bitcoin and actually get them fixed before everybody has Bitcoin that's at risk on a completely fucked machine everywhere. And it's like the, like everybody out there who thinks monero is completely pointless like you're an idiot like it it is such a valuable thing in this ecosystem just in terms of like what it is like exposing to the light in terms of computer security issues
1: yeah i've always kind of dug monero because of that fact like it's you know it's funny it's like somebody like introduced me to monero like and i started digging into that really before i got deep into bitcoin because it is one of those where it's like oh man you can do all this uh interesting stuff with all these different computers and working together and yeah there's a there's a lot being developed there where it's like you can't really do that on this highly valuable network that's robust in its consensus mechanisms to where you can't just like Throw it all around this way and that, developing it, and you know, also Monero has just done a great job as far as sort of sidetracking some of that spotlight we got early last year, late twenty sixteen, where it's just all well for a long time, where Bitcoin was just used for criminals, correct? Like uh, now, it's like you know, th- there's multiple reasons why I like Monero. I, I like it. I like uh, Flip the Pony and those Dev guys over there. There's definitely some passion over there about anonymity and privacy. It's all good stuff. So, uh, yeah, Nero is in a good space
0: in my mind. Mm -hmm. And speaking of drugs, the DEA has finally come to their senses. Um, Special agent uh, Lolita Infante recently spoke with Bloomberg and acknowledged that at least by their estimates which i don't trust to not be inflated to some degree only 10% of on-chain bitcoin transactions are involved in illegal activity down from their estimate of 90% in 2013 around the heyday of silk road and pretty much her her breakdown of things is that the the volume of in value of these transactions has grown, but the, the ratio in terms of overall transactions has continued to shrink. And so pretty much this is just the typical law enforcement agent um, going, we love people using Bitcoin because we can track it um, I'm sure that that will hold true, not um, as chain analytics tools get exposed for pretty much just being fancy guesswork over the next few years as people keep making privacy improvements. And has claimed that they have ways to track Monero and Zcash as well, which they see um, kind of being more of a threat in terms of illicit activity. In Zcash's case, yeah, nobody actually uses zk Snarks. In Monero's case, I'm kind of skeptical of them being able to track that as much as Bitcoin. But I guess we'll see how the DEA stands in a year or two after a lot of the coin join work uh, being done right now is actually implemented. If and, they're still
1: around, let's end the drug war.
0: <laughs> and uh, last thing, this is a. Uh, feel like we're gonna end uh, this episode the same way I did Sunday, just calling something completely and utterly retarded. So oh, yeah. West Virginia has been using um, air quote technology developed by a company Votes, uh, V-O-A-T-Z. Uh, and <laughs> they pretty much started a pilot program in a few counties to allow uh, members of the military to vote uh, when they are stationed abroad. And are going to be pushing this out uh, throughout the entire state for the next round of elections. Although they're saying that they're going to leave it in the hands of the county as to whether or not they actually implement this. But um, I just want to play the uh, video on their website. So you can all see just how much vacuous fucking empty nonsense this is. And I've been able to find zero technical explanation of how this works whatsoever, but check this video out.
3: Voting is the loudest voice a citizen has, but with long lines and outdated systems, it can be frustrating and time-consuming. In fact, only a third of eligible voters went to the polls in the 2014 elections because of this. But Votes is about to change all of that by turning every smartphone and tablet into a secure voting booth. It's easy to join. Simply create an account using your phone number and email, then take a picture of your photo ID and yourself, Provide a fingerprint or retinal scan to confirm your identity and eligibility to vote. Now you're ready to begin. Votes is the convenience of voting anywhere in 60 seconds or less. Using biometric identification with total privacy and anonymity, you can have the confidence that your vote is accurately recorded. You'll never need to stand in a polling line again. Using Votes, you can vote in public elections, ballot initiatives, budget decisions, college elections, corporate governance, shareholder meetings, or anywhere else your vote needs to be securely recorded and tallied. Votes offers secure, tamper-free voting via a secure smartphone, multi-source ID verification, advanced biometrics and blockchain-based irrefutability that makes fraud practically impossible. Votes, it's time to vote yes for a smarter, safer way to vote.
0: So yeah, um, biometric validation but total anonymity, that's completely fucking contradictory. A secure smartphone yes because smartphones on this planet have never been hacked or compromised and this doesn't create like like and and like just the context this is coming on the wave of all the deranged screaming about russia hacking our last fucking election there is no technical explanation of how this works i literally spent the 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 30 minutes before we came on air To actually figure out how this works, there is nothing anywhere I can find. Like, it's just encrypted, anonymous, biometrics. I mean, let's break it down. You have to register with your ID and a biometric thumbprint. Okay. They're tagging you. They can now correlate your identity to your vote if they issue you a key to vote with. Okay. You have to tie that key to your identity because otherwise there's no way to make sure the key that is being voted with is actually owned by a registered voter. So how can this be anonymous? Like, Explain this to me because they have no explanation of how this works technically. Now, are you going to -to end-to-end encrypt it when when sending the vote? Okay, Um, that doesn't solve the problem because the whole problem here is anybody, even the vote tallyers, being able to identify who voted for what this is why we use paper ballots this is why the entire voting system is set up the way it is so that nobody knows how you voted there is just a vote it's counted end of story and the idea of putting this on a smartphone as if you're not creating the most insane political incentive ever to compromise people's smartphones like this is insane and there's absolutely no transparency whatsoever how this works on a technical level.
1: Yeah. I, uh, kind of like reading, this is the same light of like, wow, this is really not a good idea. I don't know uh, what makes people think this is a good idea. Maybe it's the snazzy little, elevator music behind the video or something but it, it's one of those ideas that's just getting pushed around where it's like people just grab words and they throw it around and it's like yeah this is it and it, it'll do it yeah but um you know if you have a little bit of a uh, background knowledge you know any of this tech and uh how these systems operate it's uh quickly falls apart it's uh yeah it was a story i was laughing at too
0: I mean, like this. This is asking for a disaster. Sorry, you you have something to say, Jenny?
2: Yeah, I I mean, I made a tweet of like last week or something where I was saying that the U.S. should consider uh, the U.S. federal government should consider migrating some of its budget that they have set aside for influencing, you know, elections. In countries around the world into building infrastructure that's not a joke well they apparently saw that tweet and they decided to make the infrastructure even more of a joke um, I'm not I am not uh, a smartphone user I'm not going to buy a smartphone just to dox myself uh, to whatever company is running this bullshit app. I don't even see where exactly the blockchain part comes in. Like, who is running the notes for that? Like, where is it getting stored? Like, wh- I, don't, I don't see the benefit of that. So, again, more, more bullshit infrastructure for voting when all they need to do is not freak out, not have hysteria, hysteria, understand that, you know, every single country in the world is trying to influence other countries' elections, pretty much, um, unless you're... You know, countries who don't rely on that kind of thing, like islands and stuff that don't care about that. Um, (laughs) The U.S. government cares, China cares, Russia cares, Europe cares. All of them are doing it. So stop freaking out about that. Everyone does it. It's not new. It's not fancy. But don't don't put voting on the blockchain. Please, please, please.
0: All right. And I guess uh, that wraps up today's episode wraps up season four and brings us to our final thoughts.
1: Wow. Yeah, man. I was, uh, I was talking about my thought earlier there in the mumble because it's one that I've been milling over for a little while. Like I said, I've been running back and forth to these uh, different meetups and to Discon and uh, just speaking to different people in the space and kind of just You know when you go speak to someone who's a developer for another chain and you know what they're working on they we use the similar terminology and sometimes we get aggravated and butt heads just because we have this like preconceived notion of what that word means and how it's used in the system and uh yeah so my final thought was just uh yeah this terminology and the importance we use like some of this wording like you know this was kind of a thought i just typed out and so like uh You know, the wording might not be entirely correct, but let me just get this thought out. So um, terminology and the importance we use uh, and, and its importance terminology and the importance we use proper context in the language to explain some of the features and observations we've witnessed in the space. The word decentralization is one of those terms that have become taken over and used in conversation, having different meaning. It's been the rallying cry we've followed through without properly defining as we've moved along. I think uh, in order to start better better explaining decentralization in blockchains and the way all this works, we need to start thinking of these blockchains in terms of particle physics. Bitcoin is like an atom and we know the properties of it. Its uh, decentralized features have been put to the test and witnessed by the community. However, we don't have many testimonies about how bitcoin's decentralization can be measured. It's a feature that is only witnessed after a test, similar to the test we went through in activating Segwit. Now thinking about these other blockchains in this light gives me a little breathing room. It allows me to think of the situation, uh, think of, the situation of decentralization as a scale with bitcoin being on the uh, With Bitcoin on the far end of the spectrum with features of censorship, resistance and immutability, and then centralization and transaction throughput on the other side of that scale. And after setting this parameter in my mind, it gives me a little bit easier time uh, talking to these other developers and what's going on there. And it's starting to become obvious to me like now that, you know, and I mean, it was pretty obvious whenever people discuss this. It's like, why do you need that to be? on a blockchain, but it's like obvious in the scale that maybe there's measures of this where, you know, you need this level of decentralization, but it's hard for us to gauge now because we don't have that measuring tick, right? So it's obvious that not all these projects are going to need full-scale decentralization and the added cost involved with achieving that, which, uh, yeah, we can uh, get not get bogged down in these misconceptions and we can have some meaningful discussion. We could say that Bitcoin is like a, a superimposed state of progression towards full decentralization. All of these other chains are doing the particle collisions and destruction to find what other possibilities are out there. And uh, yeah, I've had some discussions this past week and it's only been through breaking down some of these words and giving them room to breathe and not locking them in a box that uh, they've really been meaningful and like discussions have moved forward. and. It's, uh, it's something where I've really, it's helped me because a lot of times whenever I'd hear other projects say that it's decentralized, I, I'd always put it in a on-off or a black-white whenever the reality is it's a, it's a large scale and, uh, you know, we should start kind of trying to tick from centralization to distributed to decentralized and the different measures of that. And, you know, you could say your coins launched, but until I see some contention and everything and I'm, you know, we we really need to come up with these measurements so whenever we're discussing these uh things in conversations not just with ourselves but with the uh, regular people that don't quite understand the space we're at least all coming from a uh a similar position
0: Hmm. yeah i think that was very well said i mean like, i think the only people in this space who have not always acknowledged decentralization is just a point on a spectrum that is sought after for specific properties is like just somebody who doesn't actually want to engage with the argument being offered to them i mean it's and it's like you know exactly like you said like people keep throwing decentralization in the trash trying to call it a buzzword when like you put it perfectly it is a spectrum The reason we move in that direction on the spectrum is for the specific properties of fault tolerance, of censorship resistance, and not having central points of control. And I mean, like, yeah, like people need to clarify these things because it's become way too common to just like try to... It's like when you say a word over and over and over again, until it just seems like a bunch of meaningless sounds, like people are intentionally trying to do that with important words in this space to just prevent actual discussion about them. And like, yeah, I entirely agree. Like they should be fleshed out and defined and that kind of nonsense put to bed.
1: Yeah. It's definitely helped here in the local area for discussions and meetups and yeah, I think it could help online too. If we just like try and think about it in that scale and stop thinking about it is either on off. So yeah, there's other words like that we need to break down too, but like you're saying, this is the, this is getting towards the end here and we can uh, discuss those in the uh, sidebars.
0: Mm -hmm. All right, Janine, is this picture your final thought?
2: The Russians, they're coming for your cat
1: pics.
3: Oh man, I hear the screen. What is it?
0: For the audio listeners, it is a picture of a cat sitting on a laptop with hands coming out of the screen and tapping at the keyboard. (laughs) Yeah, it's uh it's somebody's new stock photo for depicting hacking. my cat doing that all the time on my node. I'm wondering
1: what's going on now I know it's some mind control through the cat poo or something
0: <coughs> all right well uh poop I should have gotten a meme ready um well
2: so just to, I forgot the reason I chose that picture is because apparently today is International Cat Day so everyone pet your pussies
1: <laughs> International Cat Day. Man, it is International Dust Day. I mean, we're going to have it. It'll be here.
0: All right. Well, I uh, scrambled to get a meme together before I show it, though. Uh, this wraps up season four. So uh, we're going to be taking a two-week hiatus, as has become the norm between seasons. Uh, during that, I think me and Janine are going to try to finish up um two ZK snacks on key management. We've been working on I'm going to try to get another video I've been working on uh a script for for a little while now on consensus, and then hopefully, uh, we'll be back in around two weeks with a uh. Hopefully, a little bit more solid show in terms of production. I know there's a couple different things that uh, we're going to be talking about on hiatus, and I guess uh, toodaloo for now. And in the meantime, um, I highly recommend that everybody check out this best-selling novel from Jordan Peterson. Wash your penis. Don't forget to.
3: Oh my God! <laughs> we'll what you are you doing? Let's <laughs> we'll see. You
1: guys oh out. my goodness all right content
2: warning content warning
1: later
0: everyone (laughs)